to the Side by Side podcast, where we connect busy female leaders in ministry to the practical resources they need today. We are your co-hosts. I am Annie Purdue Olson. And I'm Heidi Zwart. And today we get to turn the tables. And I'm really excited to put Annie on the hot seat. Today, <laughs> today we get to talk about the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And a few weeks ago, Annie put me on the hot seat talking about Clifton Strengths. And because this is a two-part series, you may want to go back and check that out as well after you've listened to this Myers-Briggs episode. But I'm really excited to talk about this, particularly, Annie, as it relates to leadership and teams. I love that you and I both have kind of a different lens with which we look at this because you're certified in Clifton Strengths, I'm certified in Myers-Briggs, and I really do love the application of Myers-Briggs to teams, and I use it so much that way, but Clifton Strengths also has great application to teams, and that's just brought us some really rich conversations um, because these are two different assessments that look at it in just a slightly different way. Yeah, it definitely is a a really nice complementary pair. And I think what's really interesting about these conversations that you and I are having is that sometimes we think about these assessments as only applying to us as individuals. When I was back introduced to Myers-Briggs, boy, close to 30 years ago, I was using these with college students to help them understand themselves a bit better as they were looking at careers and potential paths that their future might look like. And I've seen it used in organizations to help, you know, us understand each other or maybe us as individuals, but I haven't really seen it applied so much to teams. And so we got a chance to talk about that with Clifton Strengths. And that's why I'm particularly excited about finding that uh, that application of this particular tool to teams that you're working with as well. You know, it's interesting because you talk about how you were introduced to Myers-Briggs and kind of it was a more one-on-one coaching type Mm -hmm. setting. I think I was introduced to Myers-Briggs in the context of a team. Oh, interesting. Which is maybe why kind of it's snowballed into this thing that has characterized my experience with Mm Myers-Briggs too, because I was on staff at a church and we were growing pretty rapidly. And so when you uh, are a small group of people, it seems like those communication missteps or the conflict or the differences that you have in in how you work, what your work style is, don't seem to create more weird dynamics, but the bigger you get, the more weirdness that happens. (laughs) Um, And so as we started to grow, I started to go, okay, what can we do to help us understand each other better? And started doing a ton of reading, reading different books about Myers-Briggs, Kiersey Temperament Sorter, different kinds of assessments that were out there. And the Myers-Briggs really caught my attention, especially as it related to how we could work together better as a team. And so I went and got a mini uh, training about Myers-Briggs, and then I went and actually used it with some of our volunteer programs in like helping people understand where they wanted to fit in ministry, like what they were naturally gifted and talented to do, what their passions were, and trying to connect those things. And so that's where I started using Myers-Briggs kind of with our volunteer process and got really familiar with it. And then really brought it back to our team and used it a ton with all sorts of different kinds of teams, with our volunteer teams, with our leadership teams, um, with our staff teams. And so it really was about not only understanding ourselves, um, but having an awareness of how others are different than we are and how can we help make that connection in order to work together better. And so I think that that is still characterizes everything that I do is is like learning Myers-Briggs so that we can create teams that thrive is a really important part of the work that I do today. I love that because I think you were 
intrigued by Myers-Briggs and pursued it further because you saw the impact that it had on a particular team you were working with and how it could be implemented even better. And interestingly, that was my same experience with, with strengths is that I saw the power of it firsthand. You know, so I'm curious what you noticed when you started using it in ministry, what kind of shift did you see in the culture or in communication? What happened as a result of you really adopting that tool? I'm so glad you asked that question because the same thing that I saw back when I was certified in 2002 and started using this assessment is the same thing I saw last week at the training that I did mm-hmm. on communication styles and Myers-Briggs. And that is, is that when people have an understanding of their preferences as well as the preferences of others, they grant grace. And grace uh, abounds so much more when we have an understanding that other people aren't trying to make our life miserable. (laughs) They aren't trying to make it hard for us. They're simply being who God created them to be. And when they are who God created them to be, and we are who God created us to be, sometimes that can clash. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we can create, create grace. We always assume that people are like us, you know, that they think like us, that they, they talk like us, that they communicate in the same way as us, that they need the same things in change that we need, or that during times of conflict, they're looking for the same outcome of that conflict as we are. But you know what? The reality is, is we all face that a little bit differently. We mm-hmm. look at that differently based on our preferences and what we prefer and what the dynamics are in the situation. And so when we understand that other people are responding in their God-given manner with their God-given preferences, the way that God wired them, and we're doing the same, we can actually come to the table and have a different kind of conversation. The conversation instead of, why can't you be more like me? Mm-hmm. Becomes, all right, I understand that you're different than me. And this is what you need. And this is what I need. How can we come together on this? Um, and so it just changes the dynamics of the conversation. And that's what I love about the Myers-Briggs. Man, I love that answer because the extension of grace is is not uh, natural, I don't think, for, for any of us. You know, the word that I kept thinking about as you were talking about grace was also empathy. Yeah. You know, it's this it's this understanding of putting yourselves yourself in somebody else's shoes mm-hmm. and understanding that their way isn't your way that maybe they actually have something to contribute (laughs) to this world that's different than what you contribute. And so um, I I love that that perspective. I'm going to take that away certainly with me when I think about Myers-Briggs. And I think in terms of assessments in general, it it does give us this language and this appreciation for how people are different. So how does Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs, measure this? How do they discover these different areas of preferences or what, whatever Myers-Briggs likes to call that term? <laughs> yeah, they do definitely call it preferences. Okay. Um, and so what they're doing is, is they're measuring what you prefer. So let's first define what preferences are. Mm. So if you think about preferences, it's not necessarily um, that it's the only way you like to do things. So if you, so I do this exercise a lot of times. So if anybody's listening and they're not driving in their car, they can actually grab a piece of paper and a pen and do this exercise. Is is that grab that piece of paper and that pen and sign your name. And then put that pen in your opposite hand and sign your name again. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about preferences, we're talking about what it was like to sign with your preferred hand. It comes easy. It's comfortable. It's natural. It happens fast. It goes without thinking. You just simply do it. But everybody 
in my all of my classes, unless they have a broken arm or something like that, <laughs> they usually are able to switch that pen to that opposite hand and sign their name again. Now it is more awkward. It takes more thought. It requires more energy. It's slower. It feels awkward. It might be messier. Um, and you might not be quite as good at it, but you still were able to do it. So it does measure preferences, what it is that you prefer kind of overall. So think of all the different like contexts of your life. What is the common thread of preference that runs through all of those different contexts of your life? And that's what it's trying to measure. But it's never an excuse for not being able to do something. Mm. So I, I mean, I will hear, well, I'm just not a detail-oriented person. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I don't have to fill out paperwork for my job. Well, yes, you do. Because everybody was able to sign their name with their opposite hand, we can learn skill around it. But even if we learn skill around a preference and become really good at it, like I became really good at spreadsheets for a season <laughs> in my life. Um, I would not say that it's a preference, but I definitely learned the skill around spreadsheets. I would have spreadsheet nightmares some nights and it took me probably <laughs> almost a decade to get over my spreadsheet nightmares, um, but I could do it and I did do it because we can learn skill around it. But even when we learn skill around that preference um, or that non-preference, I would say, when we learn skill around it, it takes more energy and we might have spreadsheet nightmares and it might be hard for us to do that, but we can do that. So it really is about energy management. So like when mm -hmm. people are questioning, like, am I in the right career or am I doing the right thing? Myers-Briggs can actually speak to that. Where is it that you need to, what work setting works best for your preferences? It helps answer that question. Um, and so it can assess that, but it really is about energy management. So I've had people that I've worked with that are doing a job that maybe is filled with a lot of non-preference types of tasks. Well, that's going to take a lot of your energy. So where is it that you're going to get your energy back? So is it in your avocation? So when I'm working with volunteers, a lot of volunteers are doing the volunteer work that they do as an energy management strategy because mm. their work or their life takes a lot of energy. And so they come and they give in a volunteer role because it fuels them, it energizes them. And so managing our preferences is a lot like managing energy. So that's what Myers-Briggs is really measuring what it is that you prefer. It comes natural, easy to you in whatever different context. It measures it in four different pairs. I like to to call them. And there are four pairs of opposites. So it's extroversion, introversion, sensing and intuition, thinking and feeling, and judging and perceiving. And they measure different ways that we interact with the world, different thought processes that go on in our mind. It's There's such parallel. And I keep get being struck by that as you're talking about um, how, how strengths and, and Myers-Briggs really are so complementary. They measure different things, but yet they kind of are this well-rounded, they provide a well-rounded picture mm -hmm. for how you naturally uh, gain energy or lose energy, how you communicate naturally, how you make decisions. And so again, that's why I love this conversation and would encourage people to think about that whole kind of a battery of assessment, so to speak, to really get that full picture of who they are, but also who other people are. And that's where I want to go next is kind of understanding how do you use this with teams and in the work that you do with um, people problems? Yeah, yeah. I do talk about that often is, is that I want to work with teams to help them fix their people problems. Because when I work specifically with leaders in ministry, one of the challenges is that people are the reason we 
opted in to do this thing we call ministry, but people is, are often the reason that we opt out mm-hmm. or throw in the towel because it gets hard. We're interacting with people and the people problems that we face every day are really hard. And I think that's the application that I really like to use with Myers-Briggs. I always give people a basic understanding of their preferences because I think it's super helpful to understand the difference between extroversion and introversion and what that means in your life. Um, or any of the pairs. Um, but what I really love or really get passionate about is when we take a dive deeper and go, how does this affect us in our relationships? Mm. So my husband and I actually even have done some classes with couples around how does this impact your communication as couples? I mean, they say that uh, the health of a relationship is also often measured by the health of their communication. Like how people articulate the health of their communication in a marriage is often the same as how they communicate about the health of their relationship. Mm -hmm. I would say the same is true for teams. When I go into a team and they say, there's a communication problem here. (laughs) My first Mm -hmm. question is, is like, what do you mean by communication? Because that's a really broad (laughs) word. Um, But when we dig down into it, a lot of times it simply is that people are missing each other in communication. Mm -hmm. They're communicating in different ways. I like to talk about it as speaking a different language. Mm -hmm. We're speaking a different language and we don't know that we are. And so we think that we think that we're making connections, but we're actually missing each other. Myers-Briggs really gives us a way to dive into those different different communications, preferences, and then we can ask the question, how do we need to communicate differently to bridge the gap when we're speaking a different language? You ask the question about conflict and people will like be frustrated with conflict. Well, a lot of times it's because we do conflict a little differently. The process Mm -hmm. looks different, but what the outcome that we want, the outcome that we prefer at the end of the day for conflict is different based on your personality preferences. Mm So what if you and I are having a conflict and you're going after this resolution and I'm going after this resolution? How many times have you been in a conflict? I've been in a few where at the end of the day that you think the conflict's over and then like a week later, it boomerangs back and Mm -hmm. bounces back and comes through your door again. And you're like, I thought we resolved this. Well, it's because the way that I thought resolution should look and the way that they thought resolution would look is different. So we have to have the conversation all over again. Well, if I have an understanding that you need something differently than I do in that conflict, we can change the conflict conversation and start working towards meeting both of our needs when that conflict happens. So conflict, change, communication, work styles, all of those application pieces are what I love to dive into. That's a fascinating application and it's so relevant. I can see how powerful it would be for work that you do with a, with a work team or the work that you, you are doing with people who work together, because that idea that I think I've reached conclusion, I think I've reached closure of some kind and somebody else is expecting a different outcome. I can see where that could rear its head, you know, over and over again, when you're working with somebody day after day or in a marriage, I love that application as well to really understand where you might get tripped up with one another. Are there any specific things that you see that kind of come up all like frequently when you work with teams that get people or teams into trouble with one another? Yeah, I suppose there's quite a few of them, actually. One of the things that I like to do when I'm working with teams is people don't remember letters like extroversion, introversion, Mm -hmm. sensing, intuition, thinking, feeling, judging, perceiving. I'm an ENFJ. That is like hard for me to remember. And then to try and remember that you're an INTP or whatever, you know, it is that Mm -hmm. the other person is on the team. It's like, I have a really hard time remembering the letters and the combination of letters. There's 16 different combinations 
combinations. Yeah. I'm going to have a hard time remembering 16 different combinations. So when I'm training people, I like to break it down into smaller little nuggets because it helps us to understand these little dilemmas that you're talking about. Like how we approach meetings is one, mm. um, or writing style might be another one. Well, there's four different communication styles. When we take the middle two Myers-Briggs letters, which are our mental processes, it's how we uh, see information, how we take in information. It's our seer. I call it our seer is what is it that we see? And then the second mental process, which is thinking and feeling, is how we make decisions. So it's our doer. So we have a seer and a doer. We combine our seer and doer together. And when we put that together, we come up with four different communication styles. And so you have the problem solver, which is sensing and thinking. And they are, they are the ones that are all about like, okay, they see the data. They sift through that data quickly, analyzing it, and they get to the core of the problem and they know exactly how to solve it quickly. Their seer and doer are about seeing data and doing something with it, solving the problem. Their opposite is the bridge builder, and their seer is not facts and data, but it's it's about intuition, ideas, brainstorming, tangents, seeing the connection between things. Metaphors is what they see, and their doer is about bringing people together. So you have a seer and a doer that's totally different. They're opposite. So now you put them in a meeting. Let's put those two in a meeting. <laughs> that problem solver whose seer is all about facts and details and solving the problem. And then you put a bridge builder in there. And that bridge builder is about making connections and bringing mm. people together. Can you see how they might go around and around and around? That bridge builder comes up with an idea that says, you know what? We could change the world by just doing this one thing. And the problem solver says, well, you, you can't solve the problem that way. You haven't taken care of this issue or that issue or this issue. Are you even thinking about that one? And you know what? Even that idea is kind of crazy because we had to have to back up like 10 steps before we could ever go there. One's in the present, one's in the future. They're talking a different language. Can you mm -hmm. see the different language? Yeah. You know, so you've got a meeting where, where problem solvers are like, let's get to the point make a decision and move on. And you've got a bridge builder that's going into that meeting saying, let's rethink this thing. Let's brainstorm how we can come up with a novel way of really approaching this in a different way and meeting everybody's needs in the room. The goal for that meeting is going to be a problem and they're going to go in circles unless those two can come to the table and grant each other grace and say, you know what? We need to spend some time rethinking this and maybe getting outside of the box. So we put 15 minutes in the agenda that's purely designated to brainstorming. And you cannot shoot down an idea. You cannot say that won't work. Because in that 15 minutes, we've de designated that time to really be able to think outside of the box. Or I've worked with teams where it's like, this week's meeting is all about brainstorming. We are not going to make a single decision in this meeting. And the problem solver walks in and goes, please don't torture me. And they're looking at the <laughs> clock going, okay, tick, tick, tick. Tick, tick, tick. Oh, hey, yay, the bell ring. I'm out of here. You know, but in the, I've talked to a lot of problem solvers who have had to sit through those brainstorming meetings when they know that it's going to be over and that the next step is going to be a decision. And they see the purpose behind that brainstorming season. They can endure that one hour because they know that it has a purpose and there's a goal in mind and there will be an outcome on the other end of it that will lead to action. So, but you, if you don't have a conversation about that and make a plan, it's really going to be talking in circles and you're going to end up with some frustrated people. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, those are two of the communication styles. The other two are strategic thinkers. Their seer is patterns and trends. They want to dig deep 
and be able to really understand something from the inside out. So I always think of them as the ones that like take the problem and then they turn it all upside down, inside out and from a different angle and look at it from this angle and this angle and this angle. And then they, they think like five years in the future is like, okay, if we want to solve this problem, then we're going to need to move in this direction. So it's not immediate action like the problem solver. It's distant actions or goal oriented. And it's like deep thinking about that problem. Their opposite is the compassionate connector. I like to call them Mm -hmm. the compassionate connector is sensing and feeling. So they like details like the problem solver. Their seer is details, but they really only sift through the details that matter to people because their whole doer is about meeting people's needs. And so they want to be able to connect people to resources. They want to connect people to whatever it is that they need. Um, They are tangible, feet on the ground, common sense, let's do this now kind of approach. So their opposite strategic thinker, oh, let's turn this thing inside out and upside down. and, And then let's think five years in the future. And the compassionate connector is all that matters right now is what people need. And we need to do something about what people need right now. So you put those two people in a meeting and they'll circle around each other in the same mm-hmm. way. So if you, if you, the best meeting is, is when you can actually touch on all four of those areas because you're taking into consideration what people need. You're bringing them together and rallying them around big ideas. You're seeing the trends and patterns and knowing where you're going to be five years from now. And you are deciding what needs to get done right now, what's most relevant, and you're taking action. So if you can put them together, you've got a great team. Um, but it takes a little bit to get those all talk in the same language. Hmm. So I know that our listeners can't see us while, while we're recording, but I have been smiling and grinning and laughing the entire time because I'm thinking back to the first pairings that you talked about, the problem solvers and the bridge builders. And I'm a problem solver. I'm the, I'm the ST and you're the bridge builder, yep. which is the NF. And so when we talk about our complementary relationship and working side by side with one another, you know, I'm so fascinated by that because I don't think we've experienced that conflict um, where we have ever kind of run over one another or felt impatient with one another. Now I'm speaking for me, <laughs> maybe you feel differently, but you know, for people who are sensing those issues, like how can they navigate those better? Or how do you think we've navigated that, uh-huh. those differences as we've worked together? You know, uh, Heidi, I think one of the things that has characterized like everything that we do from the start of this has been um, the upfront conversations that we continue to have about our differences. And rather than trying to get you to be more like me or trying to get me to be more like you, we've leaned into each other. It's that side by side kind of a thing. It's like, okay, we're doing this side by side. Um, because we are complementary in so many ways. I mean, how many times have we talked about like the Clifton strengths? I'm the activator and you're the deliberative. And there's been times when I know that I need to lean into that deliberative a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, Heidi, I trust you to think about this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And let's take a pause. Let's not make a decision right now. Let's give your deliberative time to do its work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like even saying, like, you're going to see a problem from a different angle than I am. Um, I mean, I remember that that text that we had way early on when we were having tech difficulties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember that? Text? I do. I do. <laughs> so I'm like struggling through tech difficulties, which is not in my preference domain. We'll just like talk about that was like one of those like non-preferred hand kind of activities working with tech and it wasn't working very well. 
But a bridge builder is going to be positive. They're going to see things from um, like, we can bring people together. We can do this. I mean, they're the cheerleader kind of personality, whether it's in one-on-one relationships or large group scope, they kind of have more of that cheerleader personality. I remember I first sent the te- text that vented my frustration because <laughs> I was working in, non-fre- uh, in a non-preference um, zone. Um, and then I immediately followed it up. Before you even had a chance to respond, that's my activator, mm-hmm. I immediately followed it up with, but it's going to work out. I know it's going to work out. And these things always have a way of working out. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, no, they've been having real problems for a long time. I think this is really going to be a challenge. And that's like the different mindset. And I, I actually giggled when I got your text and it was like perfect for me. It was what I needed to hear. It was refreshing because it gave me, actually gave me permission to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Because bridge builders always kind of rallying the troops um, and getting excited and get people motivated and bringing people together. They forget to do that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? This is hard. Yeah. And I think we just can say that and be okay with the fact that it was hard. And I think that that's what teams need to do is be able to understand each other differently and actually lean into it a little bit. So I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, you and I both know our, um, some of our strengths and our personality preferences pretty well, because it's a world we've lived in. So I'm thinking that people who are listening, who are maybe newer to this, you know, and they're leaders and they're trying to navigate with this team, this with their team. How do they do that? How do leaders really lean into these, these differences so that they create unity versus division and grace and empathy versus conflict and issues and problems? Yeah. You know what? I think taking assessments, like we talked about earlier, a battery of assessments is really actually helpful. Um, When people, when teams have an understanding of both their strengths and maybe their communication styles as it relates to their Myers-Briggs preferences, when they have an understanding of that, then they're equipped with the tools to have the kind of conversations that you and I have. Mm -hmm. And they're equipped actually to have chuckles over (laughs) the differences um, that bring a lighthearted nature to the team and to the challenges that they face. Um, As long as people can avoid stereotyping um, Mm -hmm. and uh, putting people in a box. And I really work hard with teams to help them not do that because that is not helpful yeah. and actually erodes confidence in a team. But when people can actually engage conversations, that's really helpful. I use a lot, I have a quick reference guide because a lot of people like are always like, well, just give me the quick and easy version. And so mm-hmm. I created a little like one page self-assessment kind of a tool that people can use that help them quickly understand what their communication style is. And then a one page summary of what's important to each communication style. And I think that that is a really super helpful place to get started. Um, But to taking these assessments and having your team go through these assessments can be a great place to really create and generate some conversation. One of the things that's like totally the favoritest part of all the trainings (laughs) that I do is, is when I actually put people in groups and have them create a statement of encouragement and a powerful question for the person that's their opposite. And so when they do that, light bulbs come on because you think that's going to be easy to talk Mm. somebody else's language and it's not. Practice then would be the other thing I would say is really important. So knowing your assessment, knowing your strengths, um, being able to have an understanding of that as a team and then practice, practice, practice would be what I'd say. That reminds me of our the episode that we did record on strengths and it's the application, right? It's application, it's practice, it's putting into action what it is that you may, might know in your head, because that's when it becomes this life-changing experience for individuals. And then I think particularly as teams, and this was really eye-opening for me 
as you talked about the direct application to teams, um, because as I, we started out the conversation, I understand it more from an individual coaching perspective, but to understand, you know, the meetings like that's so real because we, how many meetings do we attend a day, right? If, if right. you're in church, you're, you know, your meetings are, are back to back oftentimes and, and in any work setting. So to be able to avoid some of those potential conflicts, to have empathy and grace and understanding about how we communicate with one another and the things that suck our energy dry, the things that restore that energy is so crucial. Is there any last thing that you really want to drive home when it comes to this particular assessment, the Myers-Briggs? You know, the one thing that you just said really triggered a final thought, and that is, is how important empathy really is. Mm -hmm. And it is empathy towards others. And I know I've been talking a lot about teams and how to understand each other and communicate in ways that help us work better together. Um, but a powerful part of both Clifton Strengths and Myers-Briggs is empathy towards ourselves. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we struggle with accepting ourselves as we are. And for me to embrace, like for me, what Myers-Briggs helped me personally embrace is the fact that I'm kind of an emotional, dramatic person <laughs> and that I get to be emotional and dramatic and that's just who I am. Mm. I don't have to try and be somebody that I'm not. Now that does mean I sometimes need to do spreadsheets and all of that jazz, um, but really to fully embrace who I am and be empathetic towards myself mm. is as important as being empathetic towards others. It's loving others as you love the same way that you love yourself. And I mm -hmm. think that that's an important part of just our relationship with ourselves and with God is that empathy. So I guess I'd put a little exclamation point behind that thought. What a great final word. Like it's so encouraging. And I think it's such a good reminder that we are slow, slowest probably to give grace to ourselves. Yes. Sometimes we are faster, even though it's not easy at extending it to other people or empathy to other people. And in this particular season where it's just hard, sometimes it is just hard. I think leaning into and understanding how we are naturally wired, how God uniquely made us mm -hmm. allows us to see ourselves from a different perspective. So, you know, I would encourage everybody who's listening today to really understand how they are wired through tools like the Myers-Briggs. And if you reach out, I know Annie loves to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I love to chat with anybody. I'm, I'll take emails, I'll take phone calls, and uh, yeah, I'll share information. I'm pretty much like, a, I'll give away my secret sauce to anybody who wants it, especially <laughs> related to Myers-Briggs, because I just love talking about it. Awesome. And we're going to put all of the resources that you recommended in our show notes, but also on our resource page. So if you're looking to take a next step, make sure you connect with Annie, reach out, grab her resources there. But thanks for letting me put you in the hot seat this week. It was fun to talk to you about uh, Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Thanks for the chat. Love talking about this stuff. You have been listening to the Side-by-Side -Side Podcast with Annie Purdue Olson and Heidi Swart. Hey, subscribe so that you don't miss out on the practical and tactical tips that we as women leaders need. Because there's one thing we know. When we are connected with other experienced leaders, we fuel our confidence, we have better clarity, and we expand the creative possibilities in accomplishing our mission. So share a comment and let us know what's on your mind. To get access to more practical resources from each of our guests, check out our website, sidebysidepodcast.online.